Well, welcome everybody. We are glad that you have joined us today at Wilshire. Thank you for being with us. If you have your Bibles, be opening them up to Matthew chapter 7. That's where our lesson will be taken from this morning. And uh, let me just give a special greeting to visitors. Uh, I see one visitor here, and I know there are some others as well. Uh, visitors, uh, thank you for coming. And right after this time of worship, we have uh, a time of fellowship back in our fellowship hall, coffee and carbohydrates at Wilshire. So uh, please join us for that and give us a chance to get to know you. You'll be doing us a favor. So we've been looking at the gospel of Matthew. We've been kind of going systematically through it. Here we are in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which even people who aren't Christians, even people who don't know anything else about Jesus, really, hold the Sermon on the Mount up as one of the greatest sermons ever given, one of the greatest teachings uh, ever created, and as a masterpiece of literature. I've read totally secular philosophy texts that excerpt these three chapters uh, as an example of ethical teaching. And they have no interest in promoting Jesus. It's just so beautiful. Now Matthew has a, has a really Jesus-oriented reason for giving you this sermon. He has, he has laid the groundwork for you starting in chapter 1. Jesus is God's anointed king. He's the king that's coming to turn the world back towards God. In the Old Testament, God gave one small territory as his land to his people. And as Matthew reveals the story, we realize now that plan that started in the Old Testament is reaching its fulfillment. God is not just going to pick one place. He wants the whole world to be his promised land. He wants to give the entire world to his people as their promised land. And Jesus is God's king to do that. And just as Matthew has kind of laid out the credentials of Jesus as God's king to retake the world for God, he gives us this sermon, three chapters. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you when people say all kinds of terrible things about you because of Jesus' sake. Because they persecuted the prophets in the same way. Jesus says, I want you to understand what it's going to be like to be a part of this kingdom. In the middle of that, he gives us this passage or set of passages about judgment. And when he does, you know, he said some really hard things already in the Sermon on the Mount, but here he really, it looks like he's been peeking into my windows or at least reading my internet posts because he's really getting at a huge part uh, of, of our character oftentimes. Judgment. Not just our individual character, a lot of us have this as a hobby, sadly. 
but our national character. Part of how we run our politics is through, you know, ping-ponging back judgments on each other. And internationally, part of how we make ourselves feel better as a nation is by judging other nations. And so here, Jesus just comes out and tells us straight up how God, who is reclaiming the world through Jesus, how God views our habit of judging. I've kind of rearranged things in a slightly different order. Uh, And so you'll have to kind of keep up with me. And as I said, if you're in Matthew chapter 7, that will help you. Jesus says this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Jesus teaches us the paradox of this judgment habit that we all tend to have from time to time. And the paradox is this, the judgment I pass on others gets returned to me. It gets returned to me by God, he says, but it also gets returned to me by me. Kids on the playground know this truth. You know, I'm rubber, you're glue, bounces off me and? See, you all already knew that. You judge me and it's just saying something more about you. Or uh, to put it more curtly, my favorite when I was in second grade was, I know you are, but what am I? And the old classic, when you point your finger at somebody else, you have at least three fingers pointing back at you. Four if you have a more flexible thumb than I do. But, at least three. We know that when we judge, we are setting up a standard, at least in our own mind. And it may feel good, it may scratch an itch for a second to really find what's gone wrong in your life and to, and to really, you know, precisely and pristinely with laser focus, bring that out and make it crystal clear, this is what's wrong with you. But the very act of doing that sets up a rule by which I have to now measure myself. And if I measure myself against the same standard I've used against you, sometimes that just takes the fun out of the whole exercise. The worst is when I think I'm innocent. And I found, you know, that rare sin that I'm not committing, so I can really get all over you for that. There's kind of this creepy joy that wells up in our hearts. We find, oh... Now I got him. Only to realize a day later, a week later, a year later, this has happened to me. And I think if you're honest, it's happened to you. To realize later, I'm guilty of almost exactly the same thing and I wasn't even aware of it. The judgment you give gets returned to you by you. 
The judgment I give gets returned to me by me. More seriously, Jesus has already laid out elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, this gets returned to you by God as well. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. That is a terrifying teaching. He says it right at the end of the Lord's Prayer, and we're all rocking along and say, well, that's a good prayer, and then he just lays that on us. You forgive people, God forgives you. You don't forgive people, and once again, you've set up a standard, and you've said to God, I'm perfectly happy for this to be the standard of judgment. But you're not perfectly happy. You want to judge others. I want to judge others. And not be judged that way myself. You know... We talked about this in a previous sermon about what's the day of judgment going to be like. And honestly, I don't know very clearly. I don't think the Bible gives us a pretty, a very clear picture of the day of judgment. I know there are going to be books open, books about my life when I'm judging, when I'm being judged by God. It would be terrifying if written in those books are some of the things that I've said behind people's backs judging them some of the stuff some of my social media posts when I was really tired or really angry and God just lifts those up and says well could use this to judge you now Jim because really those are the rules that I've said okay to And if it weren't for the blood of Jesus Christ, none of us could stand that kind of scrutiny from God. The judgment we've already put out into the world, most of us, by the time we're adults, is plenty by itself to condemn us. And the mercy of the blood of Jesus Christ protects us from that. But God says, that's what you're agreeing to every time you pass judgment. Now, Jesus passes judgment, and he tells his followers to make judgments. Uh, We have to do that. So there is a paradox here. I have to realize that when I pass judgment, it had better be something I am happy to have applied to me. And that leads to the next thing that I want to draw our attention to. The bottom of this sort of discussion, we get to this saying... Matthew 7, verse 12, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. That's a more general teaching in the Sermon on the Mount than just this. Matthew sets it here in contrast to this and one other teaching, but it it is a general principle that Jesus believed in. Luke has it in a different context. So we know Jesus preached it in multiple ways to apply to multiple situations. Whenever you act, always ask the question, is this the way I would want someone to act toward me? Listen carefully to the question. It's not, 
is this the way people are acting towards me? Or is this the way I expect people to act towards me? Or will they turn around and do the same back to me if I do this? None of those are the questions Jesus invites us to ask. The question Jesus invites us to ask in every situation is, how would I want to be treated? How would I want someone to act towards me? Well, let's apply that to this puzzle in our own hearts of judgment. How do I want to be judged? How do you want to be judged? When people evaluate your life, how do you want them to evaluate it? I know that we've all felt judgment of other people. A lot of it's been kind of hostile, and none of it's been all that pleasant. The question is, how do you want to be judged? If we believe the golden rule, if we believe Matthew 7 verse 12, then applying the golden rule to this question means this. How do I want others to judge me? That's how we judge others. I ask that question, and that gives me my answer. When you judge me, I know the golden rule means at least this much. And so here's what I want from you, and I, you probably want from all of us. When you judge me, I want you to judge me by my situation, not your situation. Your situation, your background, your habits, your lifestyle, all of those things have led you to a particular character at this point in time. My lifestyle, my habits, my background, they've led me to, a, to something that's different. Please, when you judge me, Try to get inside of what's going on with me. That's what you would want done to you. That's what I need done to me. Every one of us, when we exercise this gift that God has given us to know right from wrong, to discern good and bad, we exercise it on others need to be very careful we are exercising it in a way that we would, we would say, this is how I want it exercised for me. There's a second principle. It's probably a little deeper and a little harder to get at. It takes some real self-examination to follow this second principle that arises out of the golden rule when applied to judgment, but it's this. When you judge me, or when I judge you, we need to make sure that the way we do that is for the benefit of the person we're judging and not for our own benefit. Sometimes I've said things that I really regret because in the moment I could get people to laugh. Sometimes I've written things on social media, not very often, I'm pretty careful about social media, uh, but 
sometimes I've said things on social media because I thought that I could get likes. Sometimes I've been tempted to go along when somebody's reputation is being trashed because I thought the people that were in that situation would like me better personally if I let that happen. When I pass judgment for my own benefit, then this gift of being able to tell right from wrong, this gift of the knowledge of good and evil that God has granted to us, and that he's trying to develop within us. I am using that just to do something for myself. This gift is actually meant to get me closer to God. The gift of being able to tell what's right and wrong. What the scripture says, what the scripture doesn't say. What God loves and what God doesn't love. That's all meant to help me get closer to God. And when I use it for my own benefit, to get some likes on social media, to get, you know, some at least temporary friendship or temporary approval from the people around me, when I use it for that, God's not in the picture at all. I mess up. And when I do, you need to judge me. Here's what I need. And this is what you need too. What I need is for you to judge me in a way that is of benefit to me. Not for your benefit. Something that's most likely to lead me to change. Something that's most likely to help me be a different person, a better person. Something that is most likely to get me on the path that will lead me back to a better relationship with God. Those are our concerns whenever we pass judgment. Because those are God's concern. And as God's people trying to create God's kingdom, that's got to be what we're interested in. Every time I use this ability to tell right from wrong to gain some temporary advantage for myself, I'm not doing God's work. I may well be doing Satan's work. And everything you do, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Then verses, chapter 7, verses 3 through 5 says this. And I think when Jesus first said this, I think people laughed. I think it's meant to be a ridiculous picture, a word picture of something silly. But it points to a really hard truth that we're all aware of. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank sticking out of your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank sticking out of your eye? You actor, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When Jesus said that, you don't have to have read anything else Jesus said to know he's right when he says those those sentences. Because we've all experienced that. What What a great picture that is. Some guy with a ginormous log sticking out of his eyeball. Every time he turns, 
turns his head. He slams it into people. Everyone in the room is, is constantly made aware of this log flapping around. And, and Mr. Logman goes over to someone else and says, Oh, I think you've got a little something wrong with your eye. Let me, let me work on that. Bam, bam, bam. And we know that's true. We all have things that are going on in our lives many times that everybody but us is super aware of. Failings, problems, sins, rebellions. And we're hurting people with it. We're slamming it around in our relationships. And it's particularly creepy. When in that situation where everybody's aware of what's wrong with me, I say, let me work on you. Let's make that our number one priority. Jesus doesn't say specks are to be ignored. He thinks they should be taken out. He he just says, let's work on the first problem first. Let's work on you first. Why did God give us this gift of being able to tell right from wrong, to be able to see truth and falsehood, to be able to to use the Word of God to know what's correct? Why did He give that to us? Well, first and foremost, He gave it to us so that we could apply it to ourselves. When I apply it to you without applying it to myself, it gets Pathological. It is a particular kind of religious pathology. Sometimes, there's a lot of blanks to fill in, so I'm going to go slow. Sometimes judging others feels good because it distracts me from my own problems. Sometimes judging others feels good because it distracts me from my own problem. The reason I get so laser focused on what's wrong with you, the reason I can get so worked up about what's wrong with that group over there, fill in your own blank, the reason I can get so passionately devoted to the moral correction of some other segment of society rather than mine. One of the energies that causes that behavior is I am trying with all my might to find ways to keep from looking at the plank sticking out of my eye. And at least for a minute, feeling that surge of righteousness and correctness as I apply some piece of scripture to you or some truth to you and what's wrong with your life, for a minute that takes away this nagging in the back of my mind of what's wrong with me. It feels good for a little bit. Throws us into the trap that Jesus already talked about. The judgment you give is the judgment that comes back to you. But it feels good for a minute. Jesus said, what should you do instead? Instead, it's more blessed to ask God for forgiveness and help. Ask. 
verse 7 says. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your child asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those that ask him? I am constantly looking for ways to avoid facing the truth about my situation before God. One of the ways I do that is by becoming laser focused on a few items that are wrong with somebody else or some others. And I can sort of keep my own self-awareness at bay for a while if I do that. And Jesus just says, look, turn to God. Confess your sins. And let God give you the healing he is eager to give you. Ask. Seek, not God is not some stingy parent that sends the toddlers away hungry. God is happy to help you. Go turn to him with an open heart. Use that knowledge of good and evil. Use that knowledge of scripture applied to yourself to say, God, here is my, how I have fallen short. Here is how I have failed to hit the mark that you have set for me over and over again. God, I need your blessing to be made whole. Psalms 32 kind of paints us a picture of what it feels like to be in denial. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. The psalmist says that's what it feels like. Even when I'm doing everything in my power to distract myself from paying attention to what's wrong in my life, I can't ever completely get out from under the truth of God. And so I just feel worn down. I just feel beat down. The psalmist says this in the next verse. When I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. You forgave me the guilt of my sins. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, that same psalmist says. Passing judgment feels good, but Jesus says it's a trap. If you're passing judgment for your own benefit, if you're passing judgment to get likes or to to be liked, if you're passing judgment to fit in with a crowd, all of those benefits are fleeting and will not give you what you want. If you're passing judgment in order to distract yourself from what God is asking you to change in your life, then it is time to turn around and say to God, I confess, I need your help. Jesus 
came to the world to reclaim the world for God. If you're a Christian, he has recruited you. He has buried you. He has raised you up as a new person to be part of that project to make God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have this incredible power to look at what God's word says and says, let's do this. Jesus says, start always, always, always with yourself. And when you do apply God's word to others, always, always, always do it in the way that will most likely bring them closer to God. Never do it for your own benefit. Do it to others as you would have done to you. This is how we live in a world with no judgment. Blessed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Refreshed by the Spirit of God. And walking towards the kingdom of God on earth. If you need to respond to God's invitation, if you need blessings of baptism today, to begin to be part of Christ's kingdom, or if you need help of some other kind and you want to ask for prayers, then we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.